Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Rank Squad and welcome to Ranks FC. It's your favourite football podcast back for another week and we are about a quarter of the way through the season as we head into this international break. So we thought we'd take the time to look back a little bit and discuss the players who have stood out to us across the course of the season so far across all of Europe's big five leagues. My name is Jack Collins and I will be your host today and joining me is the Rank God Sam Tai. He's back. Hello, mate. How are you? Not too bad. How are you, mate? Are you feeling better? Yeah, I feel good. I feel good. I feel good. You know what? The other week, uh, my fiance Rach, badgered me and badgered me and pestered me to get a flu jab. And I thought, what? No one needs a flu jab. I'm only 31. And the following week, I got the flu and it was absolute hell and she was completely fine. So once again, Rach was right. Rach is always right. Rach is always right. Mm. Those are the rules. You have to just start learning them at this point. You know, you should, mm. you, you're old enough to know better as far yes. as I'm concerned. I'm not. You are. Um, <laughs> and of course, our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones, who's very much flu jabbed. I'm not flu jabbed, but I am here. And I'm not, oh. I'm not ill. I'm not ill. So yeah. We've all been ill. We've all been here and there over the last couple of weeks, haven't we? Uh, I don't think I've been too bad, have I? Dean, you were, you were very clearly ill. About a week ago, I had a cold. Sam yeah. believes you cold. gave him the flu. I mean, no, no, a I cold does that not statement. count as an illness. And like, I've revised that statement. Life, isn't it? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's not what happened. I've stopped no. holding a grudge to over Dean now. Yeah, Dean, illness. I thought I thought you'd have the flu jab. I thought they give it free to um, the people over a certain age. <laughs> no, no one's come knocking on the door, mate. Uh, no one's not leaving. No, no letters. No. no, fair enough. Fair enough. All right, should we get into things we love before we get into our quarter season review? Yeah, I'll start. And it's a pretty easy pick for me this week. In fact, it was going to be a football transfer rumour bot that I found on Twitter, which gives out incredibly inaccurate information. And I've been having a chuckle at that all week. But uh, actually, the decision has been made because the Ranks FC merchandise has finally landed in the New Balance UK store. And if you're in the UK, at least, you can buy our shirt, which is hanging behind me. You can buy our hoodie and you can buy our walkout jacket and they are beautiful. I mean, we've actually had the items ourselves for like the last three, four months and we were waiting for them to go into the store. Fortunately, we got caught in a queue uh, behind a load of, I don't know, irrelevant clubs like Porto and Roma and Lille. They were, uh, something about their strips needed to be more important and needed to go out first. I don't know. Didn't wash with me, but here we are. Um, now that the Roma third kit is finally out and finally been shot, it's our time to shine. So... You can take a look at that if you want to and support us. It would be uh, most welcome and you can rep the rank squad out and about. Wait till we outsell them, mate. Wait till we outsell them. We'll put the link in the description if you want to have a little look around um, yeah. what's going on there. But yeah, it's um, it's nice to be finally in the store. And mm. look, we're uh, we're in some nice company there, aren't we? As you, as you mentioned, so um, yeah, our, all our merch is is in the New Balance UK store now, and you can you can see our football shirt, our hoodie, and our jacket in there. We're very pleased with them; they're very pretty, I think. So um, yeah, it's all on our social media as well. So if you if you haven't seen it, then uh, we're at Rank Squad on Twitter and at Rank Dot Squad on Instagram. Where where you can find all of the above. Um, Dean, what's your thing we love? Well, I love that Man United have found themselves in a new dilemma um, because they stalled over keeping Solskjaer in charge. And fair enough, like at this point, they're just being like 
they're sticking with him and being loyal to a fault, I think. I think they're just trying to see like how, what's the longest everyone has ever stuck with a manager that's clearly not going to work? We could, we could beat that. And I think they're going for that. But um, as a result, they've now lost Antonio Conte. He's gone and joined Tottenham. Zinedine Zidane's basically seems to have ruled himself out the running. And United are now in a situation whereby they either stick with Solskjaer for the rest of the season or, I mean, they've got Watford and Villarreal the next two games. If they lose those two, then surely they're left with no choice but to get rid of him. The problem is, here's the list of options that they've got. So there's Brendan Rodgers. He is the outstanding candidate, the clear favourite at this point to take over from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer next. He's odds on. I'll come back to that in a minute. But behind him is Pochettino, who's clearly in like some mega job at PSG that he's not going to just walk away from. Um, Ralph Rangnick, who's at Locomotive Moscow and has quite a cushy job and uh, has complete be... control of everything and yeah. is very pleased with himself. Yeah. Then there's Eric Ten Hag, who's like a future super coach or something, I guess, but ultimately would have some concerns about coming into it probably right now. And also, Man United would not be sure what you're getting in from that. Do you know who's next in the listing? Right. At 20 to 1, the next favourite to be Man United manager is Cristiano Ronaldo. That's how short they are of options right now. He's ahead of Laurent Blanc, who is an actual football manager and has played for Man United. Well, so he, like, was, but, he was a football manager. Laurent Blanc yeah. hasn't had a At job least he's in got about some experience. Years. I mean, I guess, no, I guess no, Ronaldo in, did one game, didn't he? Like on the sideline that day. But no, Blanc took a job. He's in the Middle East. He stopped playing golf and he took a job in the no, Middle East. It was to either all way. of our surprise, but he finally went back in. Either way, the fact Ronaldo's ahead of him now in the, in the odds just shows where we're at. But yeah, I want to get back to this Brendan Rodgers conversation because the whole Solskjaer th- narrative has been led on the fact that like he's united through and through. He's he's got us back to he's done the reboot that we wanted, and like United are back, and like we we are who we set out to be, and all the traditions that we have from the past are coming back into place. We're not they're not all there, that's for sure. But um, I can understand what they were saying with that the problem is Brendan Rodgers is an ex-Liverpool manager and you're going from one extreme to another at this point you're going from a man who could almost do no wrong in the eyes of fans inside Old Trafford to a man that if he doesn't get off to a good start the crowd would hold absolutely no sentiment there and they let it be known like what they felt don't get me wrong you could like they'll give people a chance Jose Mourinho was given a chance as Man United manager. You wouldn't have seen that once upon a time. Michael Owen was an ex-Liverpool player who ended up becoming a Man United centre forward. Like you never would have seen that once upon a time. So don't rule this out. There's been a lot of talk in the past week about Brendan Rodgers and it started in a report from ESPN. Uh, Mark Ogden, who's a very good Man United reporter, who's who said that Rodgers was emerging as a candidate. At the weekend, there was a bizarre report that said Rodgers had accepted an offer uh, to be Man United manager. I mean, that's not true. As far as I understand, like I checked this out last night. I was like, just want to know for sure. Like, is Brendan Rodgers actually accepted this? They're like, no. Um, but the interesting thing is that the usual people that completely play this stuff down aren't completely playing it down. And they are like talking up some of Rodgers' good traits and the reasons being ultimately that he believes he could do any job in the world. I mean, Jack's talked before about the fact that Brendan Rodgers should have been considered for Barcelona. Um, And Man United are looking at this. And when you go through those candidates I've just spoken about, 
he is the guy you're going to have to go to. So United are going to have to have those conversations. Brendan Rodgers will have a big decision to make at some point, whether it's this season or at the end of the season, I don't know. But there's also the factor that Man City see Brendan Rodgers as a future boss for them after Pep Guardiola. So he's got to weigh up, you know, do I gamble and wait on that? Do I take the Man United job? I stick with Leicester. Let's not forget they're a pretty good football team. Just won some silverware with them. So, yeah, I just love that this whole thing has now hit a new level whereby... You know, it's just a new a new crisis for them, basically. They're having to go from the man who's Man United through and through to, uh, oh, we're going to have to call on an old Liverpool bloke. I just want to dial back into that point about Man City, right? Because there's been this kind of rumour flying around for a little while that City were considering Brendan Rodgers as the successor to Pep. And right now, if you're looking at these two clubs, especially after the weekend and what we saw, that sort of dismembering of Manchester United by Manchester City, if you're Brendan Rodgers and you're going, right, the options are that I could go in after Pep finishes at, at City and take over the structures and processes that he's built in, in what it seems a, a very well-run football team, or I could just walk into the chaos of Man United where there is already slightly, not a vendetta, but you know what I mean. There is there's a slight ill sentiment towards me already. Why on earth would Brendan Rodgers decide that that was a better option than what's being kind of touted at City? Because at Man United, the only way is up, right? You have to get better than this. And Brendan Rodgers could do that. He's a great coach. He could turn that team into an actual team. At Man City, he's taken over from Pep Guardiola. He's taken over from the greatest coach they've ever had, one of the greatest coaches we've ever seen. The style of football they've had has been extraordinary. And he's then got to not only continue that, but attempt to take it on another level. And that's not easy. So that's one of the things that you'd have to consider. Like, is he actually going to take that team backwards? Um, We've seen before, like when great managers leave, how difficult it is for the next guy to come in and maintain that. I think that's one of the factors that would have to be considered. I'm not saying he wouldn't believe he could do it. I think that that's just one of the ways you could weigh it up and say, oh, Man United is a better job because at least I know I'll make things better. Mm, yeah, I suppose so. I suppose that makes sense. Um, well, we want to keep an eye on. I think it's uh, there's, there's story and narrative flying all over the place there. So we'll, we'll be keeping an eye <laughs> on it here for sure. Um, I want to take us to Spain for my thing we love. And some of you will have noticed that at the weekend, Valencia did it again. They pulled down. <laughs> from two goals behind in injury time, just like they did against Mallorca a couple of weeks back, but this time against Atleti. They were 3-1 down in the 90th minute, and they finished 3 all. Now, the man who scored both of those goals is the wonderfully named Hugo Duro, which roughly translates to Hugo Hard uh, in English. So he's got a superhero name. He's come on and scored two goals against Atleti for Valencia in the last couple of minutes to salvage a point. And look, Valencia started the season really well um, and then they fell off a little bit and had a run of pretty poor form um, before beating Villarreal in, in the derby last weekend. But it looked like they were going to drop points again here and then they pulled it out of the fire. But what's cool here is the story of Hugo Doro. So Hugo Doro had already become a bit of a meme at the Mestalla a couple of years back because in 2019, he was playing for Hitafe, the club he came up through um, and basically had been there since he was five. And he was playing in the Copa del Rey in the quarterfinal in the second leg uh, between Valencia and Hitafe at the Mestalla. Now, 
it basically began this kind of weird little rivalry between the two clubs that, that started for a couple of years. Hatafe won the first leg 1-0 and under Bordelas, who's now the Valencia manager, of course, um, they were a really choppy, hard to beat side and basically attritional. They didn't win particularly pretty, but they did really improve Hatafe. And over the course of it, they were 1-0 up after the first leg. They scored again in the opening minute, the second leg um, at the Mestalla. Rodrigo Moreno, who's now at Leeds, equalised on the hours 1-0 and then he scored again in the 92nd minute. And then basically it all went absolutely chaotic and mad and Jorge Molina ran through for Hitafe in the 93rd minute, shoots, it's gone target, it's going in and instead of going in, it hits Hugo Duro on the edge of the six-yard box. The ball bounces off him and 11 seconds later, it's in the, it's in the Hitafe net. As Valencia score a winner in the in the cup, they go on to win the Copa del Rey this year. It's Valencia's centenary year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but the the basically the thing that that kind of stands out to Valencia fans um, is the is the commentary, right? And the commentary basically is. Jorge Molina heads into the area. His shot, it hits Hugo Duro. It hits Hugo Duro. It hits Hugo Duro. It denies his teammate a goal. And by the time it goes, and now Valencia score, Gamero sends it to the air, Rodrigo, and scores. So <laughs> basically, Toco Hugo Duro, Igol de Valencia, became this like cult line, right? There's a banner of it in the stadium. The fans had it on their shirts. So Hugo Duro's name has become famous at the Mestalla for something bad he did. It's a bit, I suppose, to give it an English kind of comparison. It's a bit Anthony Knockart missing the penalty for Leicester. Mm -hmm. And then Watford going down the other end and scoring and the whole hog Dini thing, right? So yeah. that's basically what it became to Valencia fans. This summer, Hugo Duro eventually obviously joins Valencia with Bordelas in charge. He scored, he's played really well. He's, I think he scored four in seven appearances now, off the bench mostly. He leads La Liga in terms of pressing. Um, and now he's gone and scored two goals against Atleti to equalise in added time. And a couple of the papers ran the line, Toco Hugo Duro twice. Um, <laughs> and so he's kind of gone from being a meme to a, to a hero at the Mestalla. And I just loved the story around it. I thought it was a really cool kind of moment of redemption for someone who'd become a bit of a figure of fun. And now it looks like he's going to push on and, and look, he's still very, very young and looks like he's going to you know, kick on here at, at Valencia. I don't think anyone thought he was going to get much of a chance, not with, with Maxi up top and, and Gonzalo Gedge playing there in, in a 4-4-2. But now that Maxi's been injured, started to get his, his moments and he's really taking them. So shouts out Hugo Duro, Hugh Hard, the best name in football. And now with an origin story to match. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Excellent. Right. With that, we should probably move on to our main ranking. Sam, are you ready? This is a lot of work. I know you've been doing a lot of preparation. You feeling ready? Oh, goodness me. The, I'm still not sure about it, you know. <laughs> 15 minutes before we came on the call to record, I'm still tinkering with my Bundesliga podium, one, two, three. Oh, it's been, uh, it's been difficult to pick. But what I've done is I've chosen a, a player of the season or, or more accurately, a one, two, three podium for each of the top five leagues. So we're going to discuss 15 players and we're going to talk about them in the context of these have been the best players in their respective leagues over the first quarter of the season. Um, some of the leagues are on 11 games, some are on 12, some are on 13. We're <laughs> roughly one quarter of the way through. This feels like it could be a, a nice little franchise for us, I think. Yeah, we'll come halfway, back to three quarters and then end of the season. Why not update this? And why not take a look at this sort of thing four times a year? I think it'd be quite fun. So uh, okay. after the break, you'll hear what I say. Absolutely. Don't go anywhere. 
Welcome back to Ranks FC and let's get into these quarter season player of the year rankings, I suppose, is what we would probably call them, Sam. But do you want to start us off in the Premier League and we'll go from there? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So usual disclaimer, this was incredibly difficult. Uh, per league, it was incredibly difficult, but these are my three. I'm going to nail them to the mast and stick to them until I die. Um, I'll go through three, two, one, and I'll go through all three uh, quickly and then we can discuss them all. We can discuss who we've left out and anything else. So at three in the Premier League, I have had a late change of heart and I'm going to go for someone that snuck into my brain just half an hour before we uh, really nailed these down. And it's Bernardo Silva, who really feels like he is back to his best. And I feel like he's back to the form that kind of dragged City to that title victory when they really needed it and they had to keep churning out victories. His non-stop running, ridiculous technical prowess. Some of the dribbling skills he shows, oh man. And some big performances as well, like the Liverpool game, the Chelsea game, the big goals as well, obviously most recently in the Manchester derby. And, and when Bernardo plays like this, He's one of my favourite players in the whole world to watch. Uh, at two, I've gone for Declan Rice. I think this is fair. I think we need to give Declan Rice the credit he's due. West Ham are three points off the top and it's November. And, you know, it's not all down to him, but he's the heartbeat of the team, isn't he? He's the heartbeat of a genuinely excellent team. I wasn't here last week when Dean waxed lyrical about West Ham, but I was nodding along at home and thinking about how great they've been. Rice is the heartbeat of it all. He's imperious. He's commanding. He organises the midfield block. They're so hard to play against because of him, but they're also so potent because of him. You know, you can now stride 50 yards with the ball. He always picks the right pass. I think his passing's got even better over the last six months or so. Uh, more ambitious, more varied, and yet he still completes you know, 90 plus percent of them. He uses both feet to progress the ball. He's even got a goal and a couple, I think three, yeah, three assists. I mean, that's not how we're going to measure the man. But Declan Rice has been absolutely phenomenal. And then in at number one, I mean, it has to be Mohamed Salah, doesn't it? Yes. Most people are saying that Mohamed Salah has been the best player in the whole world, basically, this season. He has 10 goals and seven assists in 11 appearances. I would argue this is the best version of Salah we have ever seen. Ever, ever, ever. He's already scored two goals this season that are worthy of the Puskas Award. uh, One against Watford and one against Manchester City. He's got the second highest expected assist tally just behind Trent Alexander-Arnold to show how consistently creative he has been and how those seven assists are not flukes. He has been a creative force as well as the best goal scorer in the Premier League so far this season. So number one, there was no decision to make. It was always going to be Mohamed Salah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I mean, there's no argument with your top spot. Um, I suppose it's probably worth you talking about some honourable mentions. So just a couple. Out. Yeah, just a couple. Jao Cancelo, I uh, was going to put at three and I just decided to boot him out for Bernardo Silva right at the last moment. Maybe that was uh, a bit... Um, I mean, I it's know, hard to judge them, isn't it? Because like Bernardo's had such an impact, especially beyond what you'd have expected because we all thought he was leaving the club. I think that's what makes this even more interesting is that he wants, this is a guy that wants to leave. I mean, what does he play like when he wants to stay? Um, (laughs) But Cancelo has only missed 12 minutes of City action across the Premier League and Champions League. And especially for a fullback in a Pep Guardiola team, like it's so rare that you get that kind of consistency. I know know that Bernardo's played a lot of minutes too and I've got Mm -hmm. him in my fantasy team because he's one of the only... You know, I think these two guys are pretty much the only ones you can always rely on being in the lineup at the moment. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of a, a coin toss between them, isn't it, to see which one is, is the, having the, f- the best season. 
what I did, what I did in the end is I just, I'm talking about the league here, you know, talk about Premier League rather than necessarily European competition. And Cancelo has, has sort of taken off over the last two, three weeks, big time. Um, and a lot of that is down to the fact that he has laid siege to Club Bruges. Poor, poor Club Bruges. They must be sick of the sight of this man. But I haven't really included that in these tallies because we're going for kind of like a player of the season in the yeah. league. So I decided in the end that on balance, Bernardo's impact in the Premier League was probably a little bit stronger. And then mm-hmm. I think there's a shout for Trent too. He may have missed a couple of games, uh, but his creative levels have taken on, I think, another... Oh, he's, he's got he's, he's stepped on another level this season. And I think he's been absolutely ludicrous. So uh, I feel a little bit bad for leaving Trent out of the conversation, but I'll just pop him in as an honourable mention. I think there's one more that, that really probably deserves to, to be to be discussed here, and that's Reese James, um, oh. who is currently on four goals and three assists from eight appearances at wing back, um, which is frankly, quite frankly, <laughs> ludicrous. Like yeah. he's also just been Chelsea's best player in a lot of in a lot of games, um, and I think even at the weekend when Chelsea were quite poor, you know they they felt like they are a side that. Hmm. Like that, the Reese James is still going to to control and push forward, and I thought was much better than pretty much every other Chelsea player on the park at the weekend. I don't think he's had a bad game yet, right? I mean, probably not. No, I mean, look, my, this... if I was to pick a Chelsea player of the season, it would probably be Edouard Mendy. That's how <laughs> that's how weird this season has been, and we should probably throw his name in here finally as well as a, a, a last honourable mention. He has been flawless. Mm. Yeah, Dean doesn't like goalkeepers though. He doesn't believe they're real. No, he is. Why well, didn't want to upset the season? He can't win player of the season, can he? he just stands in the goal, throws himself around. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, you yeah. say Declan Rice, Declan. I know that you've played every single minute out on pitch this season. I know you're club captain. I know you're inspiring us towards our best season of all time. But this guy, do you see the way he threw himself and tipped that ball over the bar? <laughs> He's better than you. No. Oh dear. Oh, it's quite dear. hard. To, it's quite hard to judge, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, no, let's, it's let's impossible to compare. But yeah, yeah. I, I do think yeah. I think I would have had Reese James in here, Sam, ahead of Bernardo, which is a lot for me would because you? you know how much I love no, Bernardo. I'm yeah, not having you're... that. I, you can't put him above Bernardo. I understand what you're saying. I, I, he has I, a good would. season, I think, but he's not I, I think than Bernardo James Silva. Is, I think Reese James has been phenomenal, like absolutely yes. phenomenal. Um, no, he has been good. Yeah. I agree, but like he's not been more influential than Bernardo Silva in my opinion. Yeah, okay, perhaps. I mean, he wouldn't Chelsea's be my top Chelsea player. He wouldn't be my top Chelsea player. He would definitely be my top Chelsea player. So there's that element of it. Um, but apart from that, I think Salah and Rice are, are pretty locked in here. They've they've mm. been very very good. So so yeah, Salah hasn't been that good though, has he? Who don't you hate? <laughs> no, I'm joking. There um there have been some impressive performances. I think that much is that much is fair to say. But yeah, I, mm. I think that's a fair ranking, Sam. Um, and with that, maybe we'll move. Should we go to Italy? Yes, if you'd like to. I think, I think I maybe that's where one. I'd like to go. Yeah. Honestly, I found this one even more difficult. Can you believe it? You know, I'm going to say that three more times after this as well. Uh, But I'll start at number three. I'll rinse through them three to one again. So number three, I've gone for Nicolo Barella of Inter Milan. I figured out this morning as I was preparing for this that actually there's a really quite decent case to be made that Nicolo Barella is one of the best 10 central midfielders in world football already. Uh, which is serious, serious praise when you think about the company that he would be keeping in that category. I love the fact that he plays the game with such a a feverish intensity and tenacity. I think his engine is absolutely remarkable. And he does feel like he kind of lifts 
everybody around him and he lifts their level, which is such an infectious and, and positive thing to have. Um, he's got pretty much every every stroke to his game. His passing is good. His crossing is really good. His shooting is pretty good. He tends to produce big performances when his team need him to on the biggest occasions. Loves a tackle. I'd say he's the total all-round package. And I don't think I've seen him drop less than a 7 out of a 10 in three years. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. I'm just trying to think of the last time I saw him play badly. Yeah. I can't think of it, genuinely. And then into number two, we'll stay in midfield for this one, is Lorenzo Pellegrini from Roma, who has been their best player through good times and bad times. That sounds quite dramatic because it's the start of the season, but trust me, there's already been good and bad times at Roma and Pellegrini is always shining no matter what. Five goals so far from midfield, two assists as well in 11 games. Beauty of a free kick against Cagliari and generally just the person that Roma's attack kind of runs through. Uh, he and Tammy have been massive for them and Zaniolo's kind of gradually finding his form on the right side. They've had a couple of different players come in on the left side. It's been chop and change, but Pellegrini, first name on the team sheet, obviously captain, uh, but more than that, just in performance levels, just untouchable. And then at number one, you know what? I've gone for a striker, but the striker, it's its not a striker that is in the top two, three, four spaces in the top scorer list. So you might call it controversial, but I don't think I could look anywhere else here but Victor Ozzyman of Napoli because I don't think this Napoli charge can actually happen without him. I don't know what this guy is eating for breakfast nowadays, but he has got a mo- the most ridiculous amount of confidence. He thinks he can do absolutely anything. And it feels weird because you compare his goal tally of five and 10 to, you know, Vlahovic, Immobile, Simeone, and he's not a chart topper, but he just does so many things so well in a way that probably Simeone and Immobile definitely don't. Sets the tone with a relentless press, stretches the pitch with runs in behind. He feels like a magnet in the box now for the ball, doesn't he? The ball always finds his way to him. He's picking up such great positions and winning penalties and scoring important goals. He's a good finisher. He's a seriously unselfish player, which is why he doesn't have as many goals as the others. And I'm not holding that against him because he passes the ball to his teammates quickly, frequently. There's so much to like about Aussie men. And I just get this kind of aura off him at the moment. And I think like Napoli think they're invincible. And they think that because Aussie men is leading the line. And that's, that's something really special for me. So that's why I ended up putting him as number one. Mm. I mean, it's, it's you thought he was going to say Simeone, didn't you? I Jack? did. I was already celebrating. I, I was celebrating. There the was no way Sam was going to choose. Sorry, him. you thought I was going to put Gio Simeone. He did. I could see in his face. I thought you'd finally succumb to the fact that you were wrong on this one. Um, and yet here we are. Yet this is. Do you think he's been the best player in Serie A this season? No, no, I wouldn't have had him at one. <laughs> but I, I, I would have, I would have definitely had him in my top three. One hundred percent, I would have had him in my top three. I don't think you can go on the run that he's gone on in the last couple mm. of weeks against the teams he scored against and the teams he's helped. Which helped tell us to get results against and not be able to consider him currently. He's just literally one player of the month, so that's a that's a start. Um, but start. if you if you just look at what he's done over the last couple of weeks, you go right, okay, what's he done? He's got four goals against Lazio, two goals against Juventus, goal against Napoli in a games where they won four one, two one, and draw, got a one all draw against the league leaders. He has single handedly carried Hellas Verona to seven points against Lazio, Juventus and Napoli. 
Uh, it's just it's yeah. remarkable. No, it, so, it what sounds he's like doing a, right now. Sounds like you, a really deserved player of the month for him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here he is. Here he is. I just think that so, so far, if you consider what he's done, goals, assists, all of it, he's nine goals and three assists in 11 games. It's just, it, it's sensational for a person who was deemed not needed at bottom of the table calorie. And so he's gone out to Hellas and completely and utterly won the hearts of pretty much everyone, including me. I'm, I'm, I'm banging this drum. And look, yeah. I remember watching him at Fiorentina years back and thinking, good player, but not necessarily a world beater. Now, whether he's a world beater or not at this point, we're, we're probably un, we probably don't know. But I do no, think no, he's a not a world be beater right now. But yeah, I do think there's a point to be made that there is he is continually improving. He's still young, and I think that at this point we should be considering that Gio Simeone is, has been one of the three best players in Serie A this season. Yeah, I've got a couple of names ahead of him. I must say, well, the three that I've read out, but I do, I do, I, I, I was trying to figure out, like, can I can I find a way to put someone like Simon Kier in here? Because every time he takes to the pitch for Milan, I think he's been pretty much flawless, but he hasn't just, just hasn't played enough games. And there's a lot of Milan players that I tossed up. Immobile, obviously, right up there in the scoring charts. Vlahovic has been absolutely brilliant this season once again. There are a lot of players for this list. I did mean it when I said this was tougher than the Premier League. I think there were like yeah. six in contention for the Premier League. There were like 10, 12 for Serie A. It's been, it's been the home of some truly fantastic performances this season. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, there's, there's certain you know arguments to be made that maybe someone like a Domenico Berardi should be in here considering what he's done for, for Sass and how important he's been. Five goals, two assists in 10 games and Sass haven't been great. Um, so, you know, to be able to, to kick on there and, and keep them above water. And look, we discussed on Monday's Postbox if we were going to talk about players who were like real-life MVPs and like clubs that maybe don't get as much of the shine but are actually so crucial. Berardi would be right up there uh, for Sassuolo, as would Aspas for, for Celta Vigo. But like, there is, there is something to be said that what he's doing at Sassuolo is as important, if not more, than what any of these are doing, maybe with the exception of Pellegrini, who without whom I don't think Roma function. I would have had Pellegrini top of this list. I think he's 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 arguably been the best player in Serie A this season. Yeah, I'd say he's been the been. second best. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I got that. I got that. I mean, I he's he's done that. <laughs> With Aussie men, I mean, we'll find out just how important he is to Napoli as well, obviously, by the time you do your next ranking. Because um, when will the next one be? Hang on, what not doing now? We can do the next one, February or something? Yeah, start well, probably end of Jan. Yeah, well, obviously, um, with AFCON and stuff, uh, he would have just been missing probably for a few weeks uh, for Napoli. So we'll see whether they completely crumble without his influence and goals. So um, I doubt we'll be winning that one. We will, no. yeah, true, true. Actually, strike means that we've actually picked two African players as the number one so far, which uh, yeah, true, the same yeah. argument applies to Salah and Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Um, there's probably some uh, mentions to be made for Pedro, who's been absolutely unbelievable in the last couple of weeks. Um, and Rafael Leal, who, uh, while doesn't necessarily have the numbers <laughs> up to match this, has been a revelation this season, I think, for Milan. And just that directness and the ability to carry. And even like a Sandro Tonali, right, who we've seen, I think both of those players would go into the same bracket for me in that they've really turned a corner and kicked on. Um, and that in itself and how important they've become for their team in terms of developing, in terms of driving, in terms of carrying Milan up the pitch has become really, really crucial and, and, and almost undroppable elements of what has been a Milan side that have been nigh on flawless. 
Yeah, I like what they've put together. I do, and, and Leal's leap has been excellent. Sonali's resurgence has been amazing. But like, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say that Leal was was is a candidate for Player of the Season so far. Like, he's been he's been very good, but he's not he's not touching these guys. No way. Not not the sort of three that I mentioned, and then the moving on to talk about two or three others. I would not have him in that bracket. Although I love what he has managed to emerge into. Okay, fair enough. Um, should we go to Spain? Should we? Yes, we can go to Spain. And yeah, this one was a bit easier. I'm not going to lie. This one was a bit easier. I'll start at number three. And uh, I don't know how we got here, but we've, we have got here. Uh, is Vinicius Jr. from Real Madrid. Uh-huh. It all started with this coming of age performance against Liverpool in the Champions League last season. And he's just ridden this wave off the back of it. It's been amazing. This new sense of composure and killer instinct. It means that all those flicks and tricks and stepovers and dribbles that he used to do, that used to feel like a total waste of energy, now all go to something, go through to something, go towards goals, assists, potent attacking play. His seven goals this season, two assists, some unreal strikes. Like the cameo against Levante was just ridiculous. And he was man of the match in the Clasico, in my opinion, too. Maybe maybe aside from David Alaba. He got a couple goals in a 2-1 win against Elche recently. And just generally, every time he hits the pitch, he looks like lightning in a bottle. And that is exactly what Vinicius Jr. should look like, which is very pleasing. At number two, I go for Mikel Marino of Real Sociedad. Like him. They're top, top of La Liga right now. It's not Madrid. It's not Atleti. It's not Barca. It's not even Sevilla. And it's definitely not Villarreal. It's Real Sociedad. And... There's, there's a parallel here, I think, between Marino and Rice and Real Sociedad and West Ham. No, they're not playing the same kind of football. But they're both clubs who have kind of risen from what you would probably consider like the Europa League classification in the table, sort of sixth best-ish, into a top four position or a league-leading position in this case, and have done so thanks to great consistency and ability to get results when you're not playing so well. And I feel like the source of that power is almost always derived from midfield. And in midfield, Lariel's best player has been Marino. His season so far has just been a highlight reel of wonderful passes. Cute, smart, perfectly weighted, through ball, chips, reverse passes. It's just absolutely majestic. You can tell he's been playing with David Silva for a year. Let's put it that way. Let's put it that way, especially since he's left-footed as well. It all just looks all looks very familiar. And uh, a number one, Okay, it's 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 Karen Benzema. It's, it it's Karen be. Benzema with ten goals and seven assists in eleven starts. Is exactly the same stat line as Mohamed Salah, and as has been the case for two, three years now, he is the most important part of Real Madrid's attack. He's the creator. He's the goal scorer. He drifts wide. He links play. He comes back in. He finishes things off. He shoots from eighteen. Shoots from twenty yards. Poaches efforts. He just does it all. And the man does not slow down. There was nowhere else to look here but Benzema. Yeah, no, I think that's completely fair, mate. It's uh, It's been remarkable, isn't it? He just keeps going. And this relationship that he's developed with Vinicius, right? This kind of your three and one, if you will, mm. um, is, is remarkable. They've just been so, so, so good together. And it's nice to see, considering, you know, where we were a year and a half ago, right? where Benzema was telling people, don't pass to Vinicius, I swear, he's playing against us. Like, <laughs> just consider that they have developed this relationship now and that the two of them are, look like they've been playing it together for, for years. You know, Vinicius looks like he's finally come of age. Benzema looks like he's delighted to have a little protege playing off him. Like, all of it just seems to be working so beautifully. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think, I think Oyasabal would have had a shout here if he'd not got injured. 
and just slowed up a little bit because Oyasabal has been huge for Real Sociedad this season as well. And David Alaba has really impressed me. And I did just want to give him a little mention, but was probably not going to get into the top three. But Alaba has been, he's been gold for, for Real Madrid since the moment he stepped through the door, really. Hmm. Yeah. Dean, mm. have you got any, any honourable mentions here? Not really, no, because as you two know, I've watched less La Liga this season than ever before. Yeah, I just haven't um, got into it. You must be missing the adverts, mate. <laughs> I do miss the adverts. Sometimes I do flick the La Liga TV on and just watch the adverts and then the game starts and I switch over. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I think La Liga did get off to a slow start to this season. Like it is definitely, yeah. I've watched a few more games recently for sure, but not enough to like judge how the season's gone. Mm. Um, the only thing I'll really say about Sam's list is it's just crazy that Benzema is still the best player in La Liga. Like, was it two or three years ago the the thing started about like right Madrid need a new number nine Benzema's going to start slowing down soon who's going to replace him no one you don't need a replacement let's just leave it until 2025 and then we'll get on <laughs> <laughs> just leave it just leave it yeah um, it's it's remarkable that I I put together this list and, and looked at all the different candidates not one Barcelona player was even even considered close. like not even close yeah. and Atletico Madrid have been so hot and cold it was impossible to make the case for anyone except maybe Thomas Lamar maybe but even that feels like a bit of a stretch considering the calibre of players that we've picked for the actual top three it's I'd a weird world say, we live in yeah I'd probably say that Atleti's best player has been Carrasco but even that doesn't feel right I do no. have a couple of names for you though Sam and I'll start with three letters R D T <laughs> Espanol seven goals seven goals he's he, he scored for Espanol this season they just he just feels like he's really kicking along, right? Like in terms of what he's offering to the table, what, what he's bringing there, seven goals, two assists. He has won more points for his club than any player in Europe, um, apart from Jonathan David at Lille. Uh, I just think that considering where Espanyol are in the league and, and considering how important his goals have been for them and talking about players who were brought in to replace Karen Benzema as future mm-hmm. number nines at Real Madrid, RDT feels like he's finally come of age in La Liga and I think he would be in mine, I'll be honest. Do you know what ruled RDT out? What? Scored against Granada at the weekend. <laughs> I knew you can say that. I thought you, I know we're not, we're not including goalkeepers really to, to keep Dean happy, but I thought Luis Maximiano might be in here because uh, <laughs> he's, he's been a busy him, boy. <laughs> without him, you'd be bottom of the league quite comfortably, yeah, I'd say. He's been he's a busy, been busy boy. Yeah, really good. Um, RDT has been, has been excellent and it's nice to see. Remember at the um, start of the season, we did a preview and we had David Cartledge on and he, he picked Espanyol for a top half finish coming out of the Segunda into the, into the, into a promotion season and went, no reason they can't do it. They've got RDT. And so far, that's roughly bang on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a couple of other honourable mentions from me, perhaps. Um, I think Raya Vecano have been the surprise package so far, obviously, considering how, where they are in the league. And uh, Falcao's got most of the headlines, and obviously mm-hmm. that's going to consider, considering how many goals he's got. But actually, it's been Oscar Trejo for me, who has two goals himself, but mostly six assists in a, in 11 games so far. He's 33 years old, and he's still just absolutely running stuff uh, for Raya Vecano. So I probably have put Oscar Trejo into the conversation. I've watched a lot of Raya recently because, well, they're loads of fun, frankly, and they have great kits. Um, so it, it's got to that point where I was like, oh, how much of this can we watch? And he stands out every single time as just such a, a kind of guyly player, if, if you know what I mean. He, he's one of those people that just always seems to see what's going on before it happens. And it's just a joy to watch them at the moment. And yeah, they're, they're really, really enjoyable. Um, and 
the aforementioned Gonzalo Gedge, um, which you talked about a little bit at the start, uh, the start of the podcast in, in that segment about Hugo Duro, but he's been really, really impressive, I think, for, um, for Valencia in that kind of new role up front where he's playing off Maxi, but then also kind of just doing it himself as well. So Maxi's injured now. He's now leading the line by himself. He's playing as a centre forward. His numbers aren't unbelievable, but he's he's got four man of the match awards in 13 games for Valencia, which I think is pretty pretty spectacular um, at this point. Still 24, still a lot of time to carry on and keep growing. And I just think he's, he's really another one that's really felt like he's come of age this season in the league. And now I don't know how you can push Benzema out. And Marino, I think, has been unbelievable and Vinny Jr. So this is not so much a, I would change it. Um, but mm. I do think those players definitely needed some sort of mention. Yeah, I need a shout. And and as you touched on there, but Falcao has been one of the stories and deserves mm. that mention too. Rio have been a lot of fun. Yeah. Rio have been great. Rio have been lots of fun. So if uh, that's that's one for you, if you haven't been watching much La Liga, watch Rio Vallecano. They are great mm. and their strips are unbelievable. Their, their jerseys yeah. are just to die for. So, you know, if, if, if the actual football wasn't enough for you, there's a, there's an extra an extra bonus in there. And with that, I think we'll... Uh, should we go to Germany? Should we go to Germany? Yeah, okay. Honest to God, this is the most difficult one. Like, I just... This is so, so tough. Uh, number one wasn't hard at all, but filling out these two and three spots, it was difficult at points uh, to ignore sentiment over genuine performance value. And also, I was trying really hard to avoid a bit of recency bias too. So, at number three, despite the fact that he's dipped off a tiny bit, and this is probably why he's only number three, is Florian Wirtz of Bayer Leverkusen. Right. Uh, not that long ago, like September into October, he went on a streak of eight games in a row where he either scored or assisted. And in a couple of them, he just did both. Uh, productive, Productivity-wise, he has been just just remarkable considering he is a teenager. It's just incredible to watch Florian Wirtz. And Leverkusen are great fun. They're a high-powered attacking unit, a high-powered attacking team. Um, they're pretty reckless at times, let's be honest with you. And Actually, somehow, despite the fact that they scored a lot of goals, they still feel like they're a bit wasteful at points. The reason they create all these so many chances is because Florian Wirtz plays for them, and he is such a good player. So he's in at number three. Cup missed a couple of games recently, just dipped off a tiny bit, so that's why he's ended up below number I'm two. I'm now really interested, by the way, about who you've left out, because there are three players for me that would be ahead of that. Go. Yeah, well, thanks for making me You've made a bigger mission here, and I'm interested super, as to who it is. Super nervous. Um, at number two, I have put Christopher Nkunku. Correct. Of, mm. of RB Leipzig. Now, this podcast loves Nkunku. We talked about him a great deal, actually, on Monday in our Patreon post box. So come and join us if you'd like to. The water feels great. But he has been a genuine star for Leipzig. Great when they're great, when they're great and then also just still great when they're not. Um Last year, he was an excellent player, but he was quite heavily skewed towards the creative side of the game, I'd say. And I really saw him as a number eight who could chip in with the odd goal. This year, his skill set has developed and completely changed, and he is now an excellent goal scorer as well as a really strong creator. So I think it's fair to say he does it all. Uh, five goals and three assists in 11 appearances. For a Leipzig side who started the first six weeks of the season in pretty poor form, is incredible going. And then mm -hmm. at number one, it's Robert Lewandowski. I mean, he averages more than a goal a game as usual and I can't really look away from that. 13 and 11 with a bonus assist. It is absurd stuff. 
Goals are the single most valuable commodity in this sport, and this guy scores tons of them. Now, I love to appreciate and recognize all areas of the game, and I try really hard not to get too bogged down in where he scored the most goals. But with Lewandowski, it's hard to look anywhere else. So he ends up as my number one. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard. Right, who's the bigger mission then, Dean? It's Erling Haaland. He's only oh, played he's, six games. He's, yeah, doesn't matter, so, does it? He scored nine goals in six <laughs> games and got four assists in those six games. Like we're, we're only talking Bundesliga. Like that impact on a team is absolutely almost unheard yeah. of. Like it's ridiculous. I understand. Like he hasn't played the last three games, and I, I presumed it was he was going to leave Holland out of this list. You know, he's mm. had five games missing for injury so far this season. But like, if you're just judging a player on what they've been able to do while they've been on the pitch. The guy is phenomenal. And, well, Dortmund were struggling without him for for a bit. Um, you know, it's always the case that, you know, Holland scores then and Dortmund win. But they've overcome that a little bit, I think. They've, they've played slightly different under Marco Rosa that gives them more opportunity to, to win without him. But, yes, I mean, he won't be happy with this. He will get, not be happy of being left in your top three. <laughs> I, I get you. I get you. It Don't was get just, injured I, then, mate. Sorry. I think, I think he just missed one too many games, honestly. Wirtz was on the edge. He's dropped to three and I think he started seven and made two sub appearances and Holland was all the way down on six. I was like, it's just, it's just too much of a gap and there are players that have been more present that I think I need to recognise. In terms of, you know, you might argue that that leaving Holland out is a, is a bit of recency bias and it's actually not the recency bias that I was looking to avoid. The recency bias I was worried about was I wanted to put Leroy Sané in because mm. the guy's been unbelievable for like a month and a half, two months. But yeah. again, balance of play, he really, really struggled at the very start of the season. And in a very competitive list, I'm not sure it's fair to leave out Wirtz or Nkunku when mm. Sané still did need a month or so to get his feet underneath him this season. Mm. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, Thomas Muller's been better. amazing. Thomas Muller's been amazing. I don't want to, Muller, I don't want to see yeah. talk about buying the old time, man. It's boring. It's funny, actually, because um, I just went on to Bundesliga uh, app to see like if, quickly if there was any way of telling who you've missed out. And they've just actually posted the Bundesliga's fantasy team of the season so far. Um, and you'll be pleased to know that your names have all made the list. So they're having good fantasy seasons as well. Uh, I'm just trying to see if there's anyone obvious that you've missed out. And t- to be honest, no, as I say, Muller's in there, Kimmich's in there, Soboslai's in there. I'm not sure Soboslai. Yeah, Soboslai's had a really creative little period. Um, but yeah, again, I say a period. Bias, Over a season, I'm not sure you could put him in so far. But like by the end of the season, I'm sure he'll be in the conversation. Hmm. Um, I think there's always room for a Kimmich or a Goretzka here who are just like the yeah. ever-present in the engine room. They do no wrong most of the time, yeah. Yeah. I, I think maybe my my gripe would be, Sam, that they're, that the players that I'm missing are kind of like the big storylines of this season. The fact they're like Freiburger, the, the fact that Mainz are seventh, the fact that Cologne have kicked on from like a relegation scrap last year to like comfortable mid-table and look like they're really moving on. I would have had... Probably Nico Schlotter back in the conversation, who I think has been an absolute rock for Freiburg um, and I think will be being looked at by some of the world's biggest clubs right now because he is just remarkably good um, for his age at centre-back. I would have maybe considered Anthony Modest at Cologne. who Tony Modest was, uh, was definitely in my thinking. 100% he's just been, he's been he's been mad and considering last you know six months ago it looked like his career might just be over um to, to kind of come back like this uh, and then I thought Burkhardt at Mainz has been 
well, his numbers speak for themselves, really. He's Jonathan Burkhardt has got five goals and one assist in 10 games uh, and mine's a seventh and looking really, really strong. Um, good manager. But um, on the whole, you know, I think <laughs> that there have been some, they would be the names that I'd be looking at here rather than the, the big clubs, perhaps, because I think that maybe a little bit, buying aside, everyone else has kind of flattered to deceive a little bit in, in, in some ways. So it's yeah. been the kind of the upstarts for me that have really, really shone at this point. Yeah, I think also just one final name to throw in. Uh, Jonas Hoffman has actually yes. been like just really good. Um, yes. And I don't know how this keeps happening. I think Jonas Hoffman might be a cat. I think he's on about his sixth life because he seems to disappear and then just come back and be amazing for a period and then disappear again. Or at least maybe I'm not watching closely enough or maybe from afar that's how it feels but this guy zips in and out of form and when he's hot my goodness me is he hot he's such a good player when he's on it uh he's just never really been able to sustain it to the point where you genuinely sit there and talk about him as one of the best yeah no absolutely but a glorious player to watch when he's on form and and look quite key to this gladback resurgence right so so there's yeah. there's that to consider as well um but yeah that's a it's a nice bundesliga list and i think that I'm pleased you put Florian Verts in because I think there was a point about three, four weeks ago where we were discussing the players who'd been the best players in Europe so far. And we were talking about Mohamed Salah and I was saying the only person that could hold a candle to him and Karen Benzema was was Florian Verts, considering the streak of form that he was on. But as you say, those injuries have curtailed it a little bit. But I'm glad he's still in there because I think he's he's been really, really impressive. So absolutely. He, he deserved a bronze. He deserved a he bronze. Deserved a bronze. Um, which takes us to France, mate, and the last <laughs> of these five. Yes, finally, France. Uh, and this is a attacking-themed list, not going to lie. So at number three, I've surprised even myself by putting Lucas Paqueta in, who has five mm. goals and a couple of assists from 10 starts. I think this one's really hitting home for me personally because I'm I'm genuinely like shocked at how very quickly he's been able to put what was a pretty terrible AC Milan spell behind him and spend a year kind of gearing up at Lyon and has developed into a truly, like a truly frightening player at this point, like an absolute attacking X factor. He's got ball carrying ability and creativity. He's got this acceleration at the blocks. He's got power. He runs with real power. He juggles the ball Samba style and the way he contorts his body sometimes to flick the ball around people is incredible. And when Leon are like two goals up, three goals up and the result is safe, he enters no-look passing mode and exclusively plays passes without looking where he's going. And it is genuinely incredible to watch. Like the entertainment value of Lucas Paqueta is almost unrivaled. And I'd say that in no-look pass mode, he's still better than the majority of the English championship at passing the ball, which is saying a hell of a thing. Uh, at two, I feel bad about this but I don't think I can go anywhere else but put Kylian Mbappe of PSG in the list. It feels wrong because I genuinely believe PSG have been pretty awful this season. And a glance at the table would make you think that I'm being a bit crazy there, but I promise you PSG have not played very well in almost every game they've played. What they do have is a case of the Man United times 10. They have significantly better players than everybody else in the league by a massive margin. And for 20 minutes in a game, they will decide to turn up and just turn it on its head. The fact that they continually go 1-0 down or start slow and still end up winning is a genuine good trait. And there's always someone stepping up. And it's always Mbappe. And his numbers are six goals, six assists in 12 games. Very, very solid. And it's almost always him that digs PSG out of a hole. And I feel like I need to respect that. They've not been good, but it's always him 
in the last 20 minutes, earning them points. And then number one is Dimitri Payet of Marseille. I just adore him and I adore watching Marseille. And when they play well, he's at the heart of it all. When they don't, he saves their butts. Six goals, three assists in nine starts. So basically the same goal or assist per game ratio that Mbappe's hitting. And he has spent the season whipping in brilliant balls, brilliant crosses, brilliant passes. I honestly wish more had been converted. His teammates are totally failing him. He's so skillful, so instinctive. He's playing with a lot of joy. And that means that he's playing first-time passes, first-time flicks. He's keeping defences off balance. And if you ever watch Marseille and you think, wow, these players have got a lot of space to play in. How has Conrad De La Fuente got 10 yards? How has Cengiz Under got 10 yards? It's because Payet's being triple marked and he's still beating everybody. He's 34, but he is possibly better than ever. He is a joy. Yes, he is. He's, he, he's glorious. Um, but I think you've missed out the best player in France this season, um, who I think has been Montpellier's Teji Savanier, um, uh, playing centre uh, midfield. Uh, 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 uh. He's absolutely running the show. And Montpellier have been unbelievable. They're six. They've just, of, the, of late, they've just really started to turn it up and, and I've just been really, really impressive. And they've got a massive, massive win at the weekend beating Nice. Um, but, you know, that's off the back of, uh, of a good win against Nantes. They fell apart a little bit against, uh, against Monaco, but they got the job done over Lens, who have also been exceptional. Um, and in that game against PSG, I thought they were well, well in it. Um, and it, since that three all against Bordeaux about a month and a half ago, it's been completely turned around, I think, on, on a Montpellier side. And Savani has been absolutely crucial to that. He plays centre midfield. He's been just everywhere for them. And, and you know, his numbers are good, but mostly his performances have been exceptional. Three goals and four assists from centre midfield is, is nothing to sniff at. But just he just feels like he's the real heart and soul of this team. And I think he's been the best player in France for my money so far. There's a couple of random ones I'd put in. Seco Fofana at Lens. Mm. Um, and Sentiment I mean, there's like been, three or four Lens players that I can. I feel a bit yeah, sorry Jonathan, for. But Jonathan like, Klaus like, as well. Yeah. But Klaus, mostly, Fofana, Czech Decore, that all those guys I feel a bit bad about leaving out because Lens are second in Ligue 1. They've stepped on, despite the fact that they actually sold their best centre-back in the summer to Ren in Loic Bade. Um, I don't know how they've managed to do that. And I did feel a bit bad. But you know when it sort of feels so much like a team effort that it is actually genuinely really hard to pick one of them? Yeah. Um, that was kind of the case here. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a case for Kamaldine Sulemana, a Ren. I think there's probably a case for uh, for Laborde as well, a, a Ren who's been very, very good. I think that if you go... I think there's a case nice, for Jonathan David as well. That's like if you top go, scorer in the league, if, isn't he? Yeah. If you go yeah. to Nice, I think there's, there's a case for Guiri. I think there's a case for Delort. Um, Jack, and how long was your list? Well, I think there's also a case for... Been a case of 27 players. Sofian <laughs> Bouffal at Angers, who's been just <laughs> stunning. I could only but, pick three. It's a three-man list, mate. <laughs> I wouldn't have had... I'm going to put it out there. I don't think I'd have had any of your three. Oh, dear. I would have had... I would have had Savanier. I would have had Seco Fafana. And I think I would have had... Camaldine Sulemana as well. That would have been my three, I think. Mm, no, I can't do that. Sorry. <laughs> I'll tell you who's not in this conversation is Messi. Five games, no goals, no assists. Well, we've barely seen the guy. We've barely seen him. I mean, this is not what I was expecting. I thought we were going to Liga and I thought he'd get like 27 goals in those five games. Um, I don't know. I don't He's being triple gonna... marked and kicked to hell. All the time, and also, also, sure Liga is this. such a Liga is such an end-to-end league. Like, 
there's not that much space to, well, there's loads of space. There's not that much space in the game to slow it down. It doesn't really work like that. Like, whereas in, in La Liga, where it's all a little bit more technical and the pace is a little bit slower, you slowing the game down and then exploding has such an effect, if, if you know what I mean? Like that kind of explosion off one foot to once everyone is back in front of you really works. Whereas in Liga, it's such a kind of basketball element of the, of the game that it just flies from end to end. It just doesn't seem to really suit Messi. And I'm quite intrigued as to how this one plays out. So I just I, mean, I don't yeah. think he's been very fit and I also don't think PSG have any idea what they're doing. So I'm not really holding that much against him I'm right not sure now. He's going to get fit, is he? That's the problem I'm, like I'm, he's on international pretty, duty right now and he's injured. He's going to be yeah. fit for World Cup 2022, which is what this is all about really. So yeah, uh, so I suppose he missed two games with that. it just says bone bruise. That's cuz he's just getting kicked. Yeah. Well, yeah, to be fair, that that that, that also happens. Yeah. Um, I don't remember him missing two games for Barcelona just because he's been kicked that hard. Yeah, I mean, well, maybe he just wasn't kicked as hard in Spain. Maybe people were just like, oh, Messi, I probably won't bully him that much unless you're Real Madrid. Mm. Um, but yeah, we'll see. No, I just thought it was weird. I just thought it was worth mentioning the fact that Messi's gone into Liga and is not even in the, near the conversation. Nope. Yeah. There's like 60 players, 50, well, no, 200 players ahead of him in the pecking order, right, for this wow. one right now, which is really 200th weird. 200th best player in Liga. That's crazy. It's at not best. great vibes, is it? At, at best, <laughs> at best. Right, well, well done, Sam. Um, most of those were quite good. I disagree I disagree quite hard with your French one, but but on, on the whole, I enjoyed most of them. So uh, so well done. So, well, I disagree it's, it's with all of your shift. suggestions. <laughs> that's fine you, you're entirely disagreeing with me I just wonder how much just, you know I'm just intrigued how much lawns you've actually got. I hadn't heard of half um, your suggestions to be honest oh Jack you know I, as, I, as I age you know I'm a sucker for a bit of flair and a bit of attacking talent and I didn't think I'd be putting Payet and Lucas Paqueta in my list either but they're the players I turn to they're the players I look forward to watching I can't help it yeah, yeah. I mean, I look forward to watching Camaldine Sulemana every week. So, so here we are. There we are. He doesn't. He, uh, yeah, he's been lovely, but he's not been on these two level. I don't think. Okay. Well, we'll leave it there. We'll leave my honourable mentions at the top when we make these graphics, and we'll let the people decide on. on How Twitter big is this graphic going to be? Oh, it's going to be a big graphic for France. I tell you what, they'll be smaller for the they'll be smaller for the rest of the leagues, but the big one for France. Right after break, we're going to have a melon of the week, and of course, the gibberish rankings. Welcome back to Rags FC, where it's time for my favourite part of any given week. Dee Jones, the floor is yours. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is Eric Bailly. Back to earth with a bang, Eric Bailly. Last week at LiveScore, I stuck Eric Bailly in our Champions League Team of the Week for his performance uh, for Man United at Atalanta. Um, because he'd put in a fantastic effort against Zapata. He'd made some brilliant blocks. He'd kept United in the game and allowed them to go on and and pick up a a much-needed draw. Um, And then comes the real test for Eric Bailly, because obviously Varane was out. um, Solskjaer has ignored Eric Bailly for as much as possible during his time at Man United. Um, And the reason for that, is that I was always told he just does not trust the guy. He does not feel he can rely on him. And if he can't rely on him, then ultimately he could cost him his job. So here we were. Eric Bailly made his first Premier League start of the season against Man City at the weekend. 
and he scored an absolutely ridiculous own goal. <laughs> What's he doing? Like oh. an absolute panic up of the highest order. Like this is the kind of panic up you see in amateur football, maybe lower league football and professionally as well. Like I have seen it. Um, this is so poor, the way that he reacts. And United find themselves 1-0 down, seven minutes into a game. Um, you want buy if anything, to grow in confidence during a fixture like this. And he's done. Um, he's taken off um, at halftime, a tactical change. And, and Sancho has to come on as United start trying to find a way back into the game. And ultimately, Eric Bai has just not helped himself here. And I don't think he'll be a Man United player ultimately for that much longer. I don't think he sees a big future himself. I was told that he'd been looking towards a move to Spain if he can get one. Um, this was just really melanish, lads. So sorry, Eric, by I stuck by you for your first game against Atalanta, but now you're back in the melon. The problem here is that this, what he's done with that sort of sliced panicked clearance, it happens to everyone. But... It ha- it, what, what it's synonymous with really is a defender who was just played 117 minutes of like a Champions League semi-final and he's just exhausted, like mentally and physically exhausted and they just can't quite get the contact right. Not seven minutes in. <laughs> you can't like, be if fired. ever you were switched on and reading a game, it's in the first 10 minutes, surely. Like I know that Man City can wear you out with the way that they play football and it must be so hard to keep focused. It is a good cross. You're only in seven minutes in and you've been watching all season. Like You've had a good view for the last 10 <laughs> games or whatever it was. It, I would expect me to stick it in the back of my own net from there, sure. But not Eric Bailly. I don't know, mate. I never think you were that accurate in front of goal. <laughs> it's very accurate in front of goal, mate. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I don't know, mate. I I I, I, I do think he was poor He's at the weekend. Up. Yeah, yeah. I I didn't think I would be doing this to be honest Jack's because I, I also watched today. it. That's his yeah, thing. Just like, oh, I'm you like not. Pick- I just think that it, like he it, it, it played against a city side who were just unbelievable. Doesn't and, like, matter. It's one That's massive error. It's one massive error. Like I, I, but like there's nothing. There's more. I would argue that Luke Shaw refusing to acknowledge that Bernardo Silva is a person um, and just not marking him for like lols is probably more of a melon than what Eric Bailly does. In the like Luke Shaw just deciding that Bernardo Silva doesn't exist and therefore just ignoring him and letting him score on you know free on the back post. I would argue is worse. I think you're missing the point. He'd waited 10 weeks for his opportunity. And this is what he did after seven minutes of that opportunity. He was dragged at half time. He's done. He's done. Oh, yeah, he's definitely done. He's definitely done. I'm just not sure. I don't know, man. There's a lot of ring rust going on. There's not, it just feels a bit harsh, if I'm honest, DJ. Yeah, well, that's, it is harsh in the melon. It's, well, it's hard, hard <laughs> time to be a melon. This is it. We're, uh, we're learning. Okay, all right. Um, the gibberish alarm Sam over to you it's over to me uh, I have come up with what may just be a very good repeatable franchise that sits you within are the good gibberish on franchise today's huge hugely good um, <laughs> my gibberish today is the last three things that I googled oh <laughs> now be dodgy yeah, yeah, well, no, it's it's clean, it's clean, it's clean. But uh, you know, every every month or so, I could definitely knock up a top three because I'm sure all of our Google histories is just full of stupid questions. Um, and mine is two. Uh, at number three, I googled why does everyone hate James Corden. <laughs> we shouldn't need to Google that. 
No, I still need an answer. I just don't. I don't know why everyone hates him because everyone seems to hate the guy. I think Um, that comes once you. Yeah, apparently. I think once you see everyone that's ever met him in real life says exactly the same thing that he's a wanker. Like it's, he's just supposed to be rude. Like doesn't pay attention to people that have spent their whole life wanting to meet him. I've never ever read a good report of somebody that's met James Corden. There was a thing where he basically did like his writers. He he, he basically refused to uh, give them any money. Um, he basically undercutted his own writers uh, when he was writing stuff. And then also like there's that massive, he had that massive falling out with um, with Matthew Horn, who obviously plays Gavin in Gavin and Stacey, where, you know, both of them got their their real come up. Uh, he had a massive falling out with, because they did a show for a while called The Horn and Corden Show. Um, and then basically off the back of that, they had a massive falling out and Corden went on and made loads of money and Matthew Horn sort of fell into the abyss. And Matthew Horn says it's basically because Gordon just took all the jobs and then just dropped him, which is quite rude. It just seems nice because Matthew Horn seems like a really nice man. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, that's um, that's it for me. I, I think I think he's. Probably what made you Google that anyway? What made you I Google just that? thought I just I, I've I steadily over the last five years I've just seen quite a lot of anti James <laughs> Corden sentiment probably on social media. A lot of people calling him out saying he's not very nice, and I'd never really I didn't know these stories, so I just sort of like was like, oh, that seems like a nice dude. Uh, but doesn't seem like a nice dude. Redacted. No. Um, uh, number two is I've written my own Netflix viewing statistics. Um, so have you ever wondered like what you've watched most on Netflix and how horrifying the results are, like repeat no. series and stuff? Never. I, I don't. I still don't know if um, I still don't know if you can actually look at it because I can't remember my password to the, my account, um, so oh. I can't log in on the website. I can yeah. only log in on my phone, and so I, you can't see them on your phone. But I reckon I might have seen Brooklyn Nine-Nine through from start to finish maybe more than 10 times. Uh, I'm a little bit scared of the results, but I did just wonder, can you see your own personal Netflix viewing statistics? And the answer I did not get, because I can't remember my login. Oh, right. I'm going to Google that while you're talking and see if I can look at mine. Yeah, if, you, I, if you've got I, your login on the be... browser... Mine will be almost nothing. I don't don't really watch that much Netflix. Imagine I'd be probably like, is Drive to Survive Netflix? Yeah, that's probably yeah. it. I've watched like two episodes of Drive to Survive. It um, does show me actually here. I can see my activity. Um, it doesn't give me like minutes and hours of how long I've watched each one for. It just has a, literally a long list of everything I've ever watched. Does it say how many times like, you've watched it? No, it just says a long mm. list. Yeah, yeah well, I'd like to Netflix to step their game up there because I'm... It's fascinated to see how much time I've spent watching one show. Um, anyway, at number one, uh, what is myrrh? Now, I Googled this in front of Dean Jones last week. Uh, mm, we were trying to figure out what myrrh is. Uh, for those of you that are like, what the hell are you on about? It's not Ollie Myrrh's. It's um, one of the <laughs> gifts that the wise men gave to Jesus. And well, the other gifts were gold and frankincense. I'm pretty sure I know what gold is. Uh, I've actually forgotten what frankincense is, but I really had no idea what on earth myrrh was. To be honest, I've Googled it again. It's, I'm not that clear because it seems to be a bit of everything. I mean, it, apparently it's like a medical oil. It can heal sores. It can kill bacteria. You can add it to sunscreen to increase F, uh, SPF. It's been used to help treat cancer. It sounds great, like really, really useful. Yeah. I, I mean, I just wonder like, why does a baby need sunscreen when he just like is wrapped up? Jesus was all wrapped up. 
Yeah, you maybe know, it was like maybe it was the other option. Maybe it was like the the other stuff he wanted rather than sunscreen. What maybe like it was for the killing bacteria the, and and sores. Yeah, maybe it was just in case he got ill. I guess so. It's a traditional Chinese <laughs> Chinese medicine. Also, it's used in religious ritual in the Hebrew Bible. So there you go. Oh, that would be it, won't it? Yeah. I go. didn't get that in, in Genesis, my Google. In Genesis 37, 25, the traders to whom Jacob's sons sold their brother Joseph had camels loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh. Uh, and Exodus 30, 23 to 25 specifies that Moses was to use 500 shekels of liquid myrrh as a core ingredient in the sacred anointing oil. So it's probably to do with this, to be honest, uh, considering that, you know, this is the, the prophet, obviously, <laughs> born of, of Jesus. So yes, probably, I reckon it's, it's probably to do with that religious aspect. I would imagine it's probably would a religious ceremony. Yeah, probably. If it makes you feel any better. The last three things on uh, I watched on um, <laughs> watched on on Netflix were the Queen's Gambit this year and two episodes of Drive to Survive, and then before that, it was Ultras, the film on Boxing Day last year. Um, <laughs> what? How are you living your life without watching any Netflix? Yeah. Oh, by the way, Ultras, the film, is like a basically like a fake film set in in like Naples, like that kind of revolves around the idea of like the Napoli like Ultras. Um, and it's terrible. It doesn't have a storyline. It's like beautifully shot, like gorgeously shot. Like it's an absolutely phenomenal watch in terms of like actual the way that the scenes pan out and the actual cinematography is glorious, but there's no story. Like there's no, there's no like attachment to any of the characters whatsoever. I've never watched anything where like at the end of it, me and my brother looked at each other and we're like, are we meant to feel sad? Like, are we meant to feel happy? I, I, I don't, don't really get what they were trying to achieve here. Or was it just to show me like nice shots of Sicily? Like, because fair enough, if that's, if that's what we've gone for by the end, you know, if we're just looking at Sicilian coastlines then great, sure. Like everyone's having a nice time. But yeah. Really <laughs> odd film. So there you go. One of the worst so, things you've seen on Netflix, huh? Well, and one of the best, considering. It's in three things. <laughs> Ranking my three things I've watched on Netflix. That's three, yeah. Two, two is Drive to Survive, and one is The Queen's Gambit, which I really enjoyed. Um, very much. Very, weird. very much enjoyed okay. it. Right. I think on that bombshell, we'll probably call this a day. Uh, and all that's left for me to do is say thank you very much, Sam Ty. Wonderful ranking, my friend. Thank you, mate. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. I've been Jack Collins. This has been Ranks FC. We will leave the links for the merchandise and the Patreon in the bottom of the description. If you fancy getting some yourself some Ranks gear, then it's all in there. And if you fancy joining us for two extra episodes a week for the price of a pint a month, uh, we'd be delighted to have you in our Patreon community. It is a lot of fun over there. Thank you so much as ever for listening. We really appreciate you and we'll see you very shortly. Take it easy. Thank you.